As an Alliant Energy representative, I really enjoy helping businesses save. Today, I visited a business that asked for a free energy audit. After walking through their facility, I let the customers know how much money and energy they could be saving. Plus, I gave them an action plan detailing how to improve their energy efficiency. I showed them how they could save even more with rebates from Alliant Energy on equipment upgrades. If you are interested in saving energy and money, schedule a free energy audit at AlliantEnergy.com slash energy audit. Getting that just right temperature or getting an energy efficient appliance. It's not only about making smart changes today. It's about creating brighter tomorrows with simple steps to save energy. Plus, you'll help protect the environment for years to come. A better world for you, your family, and your community. Get started with rebates and discover what energy efficient choices can help you power what's next at AlliantEnergy.com slash rebates. You are listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Mile High Huddles, Chad Jensen, and Zach Kelberman. Freeman is back there, blocked by Leary, caught for the touchdown! A two-yard laser, Fumangali, from the University of Wisconsin. Third and goal of the one, Lindsey is in, Janovich the fullback, Janovich, hit, nice big hit there by Kendrick, he continues to dig, he's not, they call a touchdown! They call a touchdown on a one-yard jump inside. Trying to set up the screen to his tight end, Noah Fan. He's got some room to run. He cuts it back at the 10. Fan takes it in. Touchdown, Denver. The first NFL touchdown for the rookie tight end out of Iowa. And caught. Touchdown, Cortland Sutton. His fifth career touchdown, but his first here in Denver. And now, here are Broncos Country's football priests to help you exercise the demons of another doomed season. I have exercised the demons. This house is clear. Okay, and we are live. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast live edition, of course. Presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle, powered by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me, as always, my partner in crime, who you know and who you love, Zach Kelberman. Zach, we finally got confirmation of something that we all basically expected was going to happen. Kind of got that vibe toward the end of the season. The, the L.A. Chargers have finally realized that they butted up against their ceiling. They've gone as far as they can possibly go with Phillip Rivers, and according yeah. to Fox Sports' Jay Glazer, He's not returning. So he's going to hit the open market. He already moved his family back east, Florida, I think it was, or was yeah. it Carolina? Florida, yeah. Florida. So your uh, your reaction and also the idea from what I'm hearing and the buzz is that they're in on Justin Herbert. They like the Oregon quarterback. So what would your thoughts be, first of all, on Phillip Rivers saying goodbye to the AFC West, maybe for now anyway, and then Justin Herbert coming in to do battle with Drew Locke? You know, everything comes to an end, Chad. And and Phillip Rivers, he gave it a good run in San Diego and Los Angeles. He was a really, really good, but not necessarily great quarterback and never won anything. But his time has come there, and I understand the, the organization's decision to want to move on. They have Tyrod Taylor. If they draft Justin Herbert, that would be a great setup there for the future and the present. And for Phillip Rivers, he's going to Florida. And what Florida team could use a quarterback? You have the Dolphins and you have the Bucks. The Bucs could probably move on from Jameis Winston. So there's going to be opportunity out there. I expect him to be playing in 2020 but not for the Chargers, and that's good for the rest of the AFC West. He's been a thorn kind of in the Broncos' side, and it's uh, ushering a new change now. Drew Locke, Patrick Mahomes, maybe Justin Herbert. That's an exciting 
you know, future in that division. Dude, I'd honestly be intrigued to see Philip Rivers teamed up with Bruce Arians in Tampa. Hmm. He's out of the AFC. Go let him make some noise and, or see if he can make some noise anyway in the, in the NFC South. But that would be an interesting combination because, you know, Broncos fans are well aware that he's a guy that sometimes just he's pushing the ball down the field. He's pushing the ball. And sometimes he just makes that boneheaded throw. And you're like, where did that come from? Thanks for the win, sucker. Right. Like, especially in the clutch, at least against the Broncos, he just had a penchant for making boneheaded decisions, trying to push the ball that would result in a strip sack or a turnover or pick or whatever. So I'd be interesting to see him working with Bruce Arians, who's all about that vertical game. And, you know, he's got a couple built-in, ready-to-go wide receivers there. Great ones. I think that would be a good fit. It's, if there's any coach that I think would love working with Philip Rivers, it is Bruce Arians, one of the most pass-happy coaches in the NFL. It would fit his lifestyle, that kind of uh, environment in Florida. I could definitely see that, Chad. I, I thought it was maybe the Colts for Philip Rivers or some other team, but the Bucks right now, if they move on from Jameis, which I think they will, that's a great, easy, natural fit for Philip Rivers. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, we must bid adieu to Philip Rivers, who – you know, he had a he had a couple of good seasons in that final five years with the Chargers, but it was kind of downhill for for the Chargers ever since they left San Diego, with the exception of 2018, where they won whatever it was, 12 games, and they looked like they could be a contender, but of course, fell apart in the playoffs. Is Philip Rivers like if he retired after this season? You know, he just said, you know what, I don't want to keep doing this. I don't want to have to go try and fit in with a new squad. You know, he's been in the league since, what, 04. He was part of that 04 draft class with Eli and Big Ben. Do you think he has a case for the Hall of Fame? Knowing, by the way, Dan Fouts is in the Hall of Fame, and he basically, outside of, you know, basically being one of the first quarterbacks to really consistently pioneer the 4,000-yard passing season, Air Coriel in San Diego and all that, he doesn't really have much more of a claim to fame, yet he's in the Hall. I, I just I don't see it at all. He never won a Super Bowl. I mean, his playoff record is is three and four, I believe. So he's definitely not you know a playoff phenomenon. He's in the Hall of very good quarterbacks, Chad. He's not in the Hall of Fame. He's a good player for a long time, but he never got over that hump for whatever reason. You mentioned yourself his penchant for boneheaded plays, his turnovers. Good, not all time great quarterback. He's a, not a Hall of Famer in my opinion. I just want to check out his stats real quick. His all time career stats. See where he's at. What what whether he's pushing into the top twenty here. I just want to take a quick peek and then we'll move on here. Fifty nine thousand passing yards. Dang. I remember when Elway was a player, if I'm not mistaken, he was the first quarterback to surpass fifty thousand career passing yards. If I'm not mistaken. If he wasn't the first, he was one of the first. And now it's like, you know, you play ten years in the league, you're basically right there, you know, as far as yeah. NFL modern passing game. But he's got fifty 59,000, this is Phillip Rivers, 59,271 passing yards, 397 passing touchdowns to 198 interceptions. His overall record as a starter, 123 wins to 101 losses. And you want to know something that's interesting, talking about also that 2004 class of quarterbacks, the first rounders anyway. Eli, of course, just hung up his cleats. His career record, Zach, he's 117 and 117. He's 500 as a quarterback starting in the NFL with two rings. 
That's exactly why he'll be a Hall of Famer, though. Those two Super Bowls, you can argue that it was the defense. You can argue it was you know, David Tyree and Mario Manningham, but that's why Eli will be a Hall of Famer. And Rivers, I think I bungled his playoff record. It's actually five and six, but still, he never won anything. He never was uh, a success in the playoffs. Not a Hall of Fame quarterback, in my opinion. Very good quarterback. Not you know, not Canton-bound, in my opinion. I could be probably persuaded on it. My whole thinking on it, and then we're going to turn the page, is just simply that if you're going to let Dan Fouts into the Hall of Fame as a Chargers quarterback, Phillip Rivers' numbers dwarfs Dan Fouts. Now, I get it's a different era, right? And I mean, basically, Fouts was – Namath kind of got there first, but then you had Fouts, then it kind of pioneered the, the air attack. Dan Marino hit the ground running in 83 and made it to the Super Bowl in 84. And then – so I, I get that he was kind of a pioneer, and that's what maybe – Gives him more of a claim to fame for the for the hall, but I mean his numbers pale compared to Philip Rivers. But guys, this is not a Philip Rivers podcast, as you know. This is a Denver Broncos podcast, and we have a few topics here we want to get into today. And then, of course, we look forward to hearing what's on your mind, answer a few questions, see what's up with you guys. Quick hello to those of you who've been hanging out in the room, especially Stu McPeak, Buana Beast, Mark Langley. What's up, you guys? It's good to see you. A couple of quick matters of business. As you know, guys, make sure you're following the show on Twitter. It's simply the best way to stay plugged in. Keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the show in real time. And then don't forget, head on over to Apple Podcasts when you get some time. Leave us a creative review. And if you like what Zach and I are doing, a five-star rating. It's a great organic way to support the show. And it also enters you into our monthly drawing. We give away a hat. We give away a shirt to a couple of randomly selected names who reviewed the podcast on Apple Podcasts, and we will announce January's winners first of next week. Yeah, first of next week, because we'll, uh, we'll, we'll still be – our last pods this week will still barely be in January. So it'll be first of next week we'll announce that. So take care of that business. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies push boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They push girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promotes surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this... But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. All right, Zach, before we uh, see what's on the minds of our awesome listeners and viewers in real time, I wanted to get your thoughts on a couple of storylines that emerged from the Pro Bowl as it relates to the Denver Broncos. Now, of course, only two Pro Bowlers this year. One was a shoe-in in terms of the voting, Von Miller, even though you can argue it wasn't a Pro Bowl caliber year. He was a shoe-in first-team Pro Bowler. And then, of course, Cortland Sutton got in as an alternate after DeAndre Hopkins bowed out due to injury. So two Broncos down in Orlando having fun, 
Vaughn's showing basically, you know, taking him under his wing, Cortland Sutton showing him how to do it and how to have fun and just settling into the whole Pro Bowl experience. What was interesting, though, was a you kind of got to understand how much Cortland Sutton's profile in the NFL has risen, and not just by virtue of his Pro Bowl nod, but literally by virtue of his production in 2019. And there was a quote from Joe Hayden, who's, of course, a Pro Bowl cornerback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, that I thought was interesting. I wanted to get your take on this. He said, quote, and this has been the number one story on milehighhuddle.com today all day long. This is what Hayden said about Cortland Sutton. Quote, he kind of reminds me of A.J. Green. They're kind of very similar in size and build. He can go deep. He can jump and catch the ball in the red zone. I think he's a very, very special player. Close quote. Your thoughts, Zach? First of all, I'm so happy that he's getting the recognition around the NFL, Chad, that he deserves. And to be compared to A.J. Green, who was one of the best receivers of this generation, is such a good look, not just for Cortland Sutton, but also for the Broncos. Second of all, I believe his ceiling is even higher than A.J. Green. I believe he can be a better receiver than A.J. Green, but he's definitely built in that same type of mold. And uh, he caught a touchdown pass yesterday, I believe, Cortland Sutton. So I didn't see one minute of the Pro Bowl. I might be wrong on that, but I believe no, he, he did have four catches, but I don't think one of them was for a touchdown. Okay, I, so. I had to look up the stats for that article today okay. for whatever reason. Even so, I mean, he, he showed out well in the Pro Bowl among his fellow All-Stars in that game. Yeah. And he's going to be – that's his first of many trips. I said it before, and I'll say it again, to the Pro Bowl. I mean, he's going to be there on his own recognition and volition next season. Yeah. I mean, the, <clears throat> the biggest takeaway for me, and I wrote this in the article, is, you know, he – well, I, it wasn't my article. I'm sorry. In, I, this was said in Keith's article. Keith uh, Cummings is the one who had the article today. But um, he's just no longer flying under the radar. Like, right. even though he was a second-round pick, he was the 40th overall selection in 2018. You know, he came in, started off as a rookie, as the number three guy behind DT and Sanders, and then eventually became the starter. However, this year he really just blew the doors down in the Pro Bowl you know, all the you've got all he's rubbing shoulders with all the stars of the league. Not only even if they didn't come across his tape or didn't have to game plan against him and break him down last year in a game head to head, getting to see him up close in practice and, you know, rubbing shoulders with him. He's no longer flying under the radar. And that's exciting. And it's also a little bit intimidating, which just means he's as a wideout has to keep his nose to the grindstone. Zach, he has to keep pushing the envelope. And uh, based on what we've seen, though, through his first two years, I'm not worried that he's not going to do that. But look what he's done it with, Chad. His quarterbacks, Case Keenum, Joe Flacco, yeah. Brandon Allen, and Drew Locke as a rookie. And then he's had really, except for Manuel Sanders next to him, not a stable, up-and-coming, flashy, speed demon wide receiver, too. You get him Drew Locke for a full season, you get a, a Jerry Judy, a C.D. Lamb, or a Henry Ruggs opposite him, he's going to have a monster season next year. And I believe not only will he be a pro bowler, but also a first-team all-pro. He has that perennial upside. He is that good of a player. And it's been a pleasure watching him develop the last couple seasons. Yeah, that's the I mean, it's that's the thing that's so remarkable and what pissed me off so badly about him getting snubbed as a shoe-in pro bowler is that he had over 1100 yards receiving and over 70 receptions from a pretty, you know, it's basically a quarterback carousel. Joe Flacco basically, you know, a, a severely diminished version of Joe Flacco. Brandon Allen who was just you know, count yourself lucky you're Brandon Allen starting a game in the NFL because you just the stars aligned perfectly on the right team in the right moment to start. And then Drew Locke, of course, really helped him beef up the numbers down the stretch. But still, you got to tip your cap to Corlin Sun. And it's really exciting to see what the future holds for him. 
It is for sure. And I think um, we only see just the tip of the iceberg right now with Cortland Sun. Like I said, you put him in the right scheme with the right pieces around him. He's going to be a very, very good player. And it just pisses me off, Chad, that someone like Jarvis Landry, who had worse stats than Cortland Sutton, made it, but Sutton didn't make it. It's all that Broncos bias and just the fact that he had, what, Baker Mayfield throwing to him and not, you know, anybody else. I don't like that. And uh, I just think he'll make up for it next year, Sutton, with his own Pro Bowl recognition. So while we've been talking – I did some a quick little research on Google, and it turns out that the first to surpass 50,000 yards passing as a quarterback was, in fact, Dan Marino. And it's an extremely short list. Um, or wait, am I misreading this? Hold on. This is 5,000 yards. Google's not seeing the comma there and the extra zero. Let me see. Well, we can research it when we're not live and bogging down the conversation. Any of you that have a chance to hop on the Google machine, hit it and see if you can find out whether I I was uh, wrong on that. And in fact, maybe it was Marino, which would make sense that he would hit it sooner than Elway um, because, you know, he was putting up bigger passing yards and played not quite as long as Elway or did he? Well, we'll see. Anyway, I want to turn the page. If you guys can find that, hit me up in the comment stream. We'll we'll check it out and uh, I'll stand corrected. The other aspect of this Pro Bowl, Zach, I wanted to get your take on, is something that Von Miller said about Drew Locke. And let me pull this up here. All right, so, of course, any Denver Bronco at this point, when they get put in front of the media and the microphone's in their face, it's only a short matter of time before the obligatory Drew Locke question comes. And in the case of Von Miller, when he was asked about Drew Locke by the Associated Press down there in Orlando, he lit up like a Christmas tree, and here's what he said, quote, I thought he was going to be good without a new offensive coordinator. In other words, without the Broncos having to hire someone like Pat Shermer. And now they're bringing in all these guys to help him be successful. The sky's the limit for him. And then he was asked about what made Locke special or what he views as you know the reason why Locke is special. Quote, whenever you have a confident quarterback out there balling and doing all the great stuff he does – Everybody feeds off that. It gets everyone excited, close quote. There's a few things, a few takeaways from these remarks, Zach, but I like that he says basically that Locke is doing great stuff and the fact that everyone's feeding off of that and everyone's excited. And you could see how the Denver Broncos down the stretch, even though they knew they were out of the playoffs, Zach, all of a sudden they started playing with way more swag. They started playing with a lot more a lot more loose, right, and with a lot more confidence and it's kind of weird because a lot of times you you think if you're if you're if you're geared up and you're and you're hyped up sometimes people get a little tight when the stakes are high but the broncos found a way to play stay loose and and stay confident at the same time and you can attribute that to Drew Lock kind of having a palpable change on the entire roster yeah, that was definitely interesting. And, and though I will take everything Vaughn says with a grain of salt, because he said it about, you know, Pax and Lynch, he said it about Case Keenum, this one does feel different. This this kind of praise feels genuine and authentic. And uh, what was telling to me from those remarks was he didn't think the Broncos would change coordinators. So obviously in the locker room, which Vaughn has a great pulse of, they didn't really see apparently the rift between Scangarello and Vic Fangio. It wasn't that evident. So maybe it was a spur of the moment impulsive decision. But if Vaughn didn't notice it and he was actually actually caught off guard by the Broncos changing coordinators, then it couldn't have been that public. It had to have been something behind the scenes. So from what he told me or what he said, actually that jumped out to me about the coordinators and other coaching staff. Right. And guys, before you get, you know, too upset that Vaughn, you know, try and minimize that what he's saying about Drew Locke. Listen, he did say this was Vaughn. 
This is reported by Cameron Wolf, who at the time worked for the Denver Post back in May of 2016. Vaughn said, quote, Paxton, he looks like a superstar to me. Now, keep in mind, this was before they had even gotten on the field together, basically. Okay, so there, that's where when Zach says Vaughn Miller gushed about Paxton Lynch, gushed about Case Keenum, that's what he's talking about. But it's a different context. This is Vaughn Miller talking about a young quarterback now after having played with him, basically, and been around him for a full season, even though he didn't start for a whole season lock. Miller was around him for a whole year. And with Case Keenum, you know, as a leader of the team, Von Miller, you expect him to get out in front and from a public relations perspective, shower praise at Case Keenum. But as Zach said, this time it does feel different. And one of the reasons why it feels different is because it looked different, right? Zach, it came out different in the wash in terms of what Locke, how he was able to impact the team. He's backing up Vaughn's praise, whereas Keenum didn't do it and Paxton Lynch didn't do it. Locke went out there and went 4-1, and one, had two major upsets, and he is established as the leader of this franchise. And Vaughn was that poster boy. Vaughn was the face of the franchise. He was getting paid like a franchise quarterback. So now someone comes in, and I think he's happy almost to share the spotlight, Chad. He's happy to not have that pressure on him to be the guy and to have his offensive counterpart. So, yeah, while he said those comments in the past, like I touched on, this one feels genuine. This one feels more authentic. And I think it's a sign of things to come based on the way Locke, a first round or first year player, has the pulse of the locker room and the veterans in that locker room already. All right, guys, we took this 17 minutes into the show. Let's start seeing what's on your guys' mind. Spicy Mike, by the way, doing some research. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you already knew this. He's saying Marino did it in 96, Elway in 98. And when you think about it, that makes sense because Marino's passing numbers were always significantly more prolific than Elway's were from the drop. You know, Elway's Elway took all 16 years basically. You know, to get to get over the hump. So, I'd be curious though, Spicy Mike, if you want to check it out. If at the time those were the that was the first one and two. So, right, if I'm not mistaken. So, if Marino was first in '96, no one else had done it before that point. Elway was number two. Uh, Stu jumps in with a $10 donation Thank on you, Super Stu. Chat. We love you, Stu. That's so so consistent. We appreciate you. Uh, let's see here, Kathleen. In 2000. Dan Marino retired from the Miami Dolphins after 17 years of play. Elway retired in 99, so I was wrong with that, with 16 years playing. You know, you got to feel bad for Marino, not quite getting over the hump. Played in one Super Bowl and got – who was it? Did they lose to the Niners? Was it the Niners? You guys correct me if I'm wrong on that, but Dan Marino changed the game as a a quarterback with the the aerial attack. Mark Langley jumps in, $5 donation on Super Chat. Appreciate you, Mark. He says, what up, my guys? How much money will Denver have in cap space? And now you guys can flex the football piece <laughs> shirts. Hashtag Chad Gangsta. Hashtag Zach Perna. Hashtag Broncos. The Zach Perna thing cracks me up. Um, let's see. Um, how much will they have? All right, so it's like $61 million right now, just shy of 62 And then if you – well, let me let me pull up uh, Denver Broncos salary cap real quick. Once they cut the Todd Davises and the Jeff Hirons of the world and Flacco potentially, they can have you know twenty more million dollars in cap space. So Broncos are fine. Dang near, yeah. The, I mean, just just Joe Flacco alone, they can save over ten million dollars on the cap. Then if they don't pick up the the option on Ron Leary's contract, that's another eight and a half sure. million. So now you got eighteen. Todd Davis would give you another five. Hireman another four. 
It's a lot of money. So yeah, they're sitting right now at just shy of sixty-two million, Zach. That's a lot right now. Before any other moves, Chad, they can bring in a couple marquee free agents and still take care of their own. But with eighty million, eighty-five million, they can do whatever they want, and that's why I expect them to lock down the Simmons, maybe Derek Wolf, Chris Harris Jr., Shelby Harris—not all of them, but a few of them—and also venture out of house for at least one marquee free agent if they so choose. Maybe a Chris Jones. We'll have to wait and see. But the Broncos, financially, Chad, for once, are sitting very pretty. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Yeah, I expect them to be extremely active initially, re-signing their own guys. In fact, According to, I'm trying to remember where it came from now, Zach, off the top of my head. Maybe it was something Cliss grabbed. Maybe it was a radio appearance. But the first thing the Broncos are going to do when they all get back from this vacation they've been on, uh, Terry, we see you. We'll, we'll grab you just one sec, bro. Is they're going to take a hard look at making a decision on who they're going to make a true effort to re-sign of their own guys. And then once they have that business taken care of, say, okay, now what do we have available? Let's define what our priorities are in free agency and then be ready to attack it in March. And that kind of brings up something Glenn's asking us here. He says, in one of Eric Trickle's pieces, he did a, he does a few of these each and every offseason. It's a full offseason mock. And if you guys haven't checked it out, you got to go read it. It's a lot of fun. It's, uh, you know, re-signings, roster cuts as far as what you do with the current roster, free agent signings, and then a full seven-round mock draft. And Glenn's right. In Eric's initial first offseason mock of the 2020 offseason, he had the Denver Broncos letting every one of their free uh, agents walk with the exception of Justin Simmons. So he says, um, it was an interesting theory. What do you guys think of keeping only one guy? Personally, I mean, if you boil it down, Simmons is the most likely guy that you know is going to be re-signed. So that's a no-brainer. But the idea of the Broncos letting everybody else walk, 
I think that you're probably going to see Derek Wolf come back, either him or Shelby Harris. My bet is it's going to be Derek Wolf. And I still think there's an outside chance. I'm not telling you to bet on it, but I still think, Zach, there's an outside chance they can get Chris Harris Jr. re-signed depending on what the market really shows for him. You know, he wants to hit the market and he's going to. He's not going to accept it unless they just blow down the doors with a massive offer between now and free agency, which I don't think they're going to do. They're going to let him and he's going to want to test the market depending on what that market is. Like if if you got Philadelphia coming hot, Zach, with like $16 million a year, right. the Broncos are going to let him walk. Yeah, you know, I could see the Broncos just resigning Simmons. I can see that that you know situation playing out in reality. But I think, like Chad said, they're going to resign either Shelby Harris or Derek Wolf. It's up to you guys to determine what you think should come back. I think Chad and I are split on that, but I think one of them will. Justin Simmons, a no brainer, even by via long term contract or the franchise tag. You never know the, the Connor McGoverns of the world. They could bring back a Will Parks. A lot of free agents they have out there. I think they'll resign Simmons. He's priority number one. Then you can bring back some of the lower level guys, but Devontae Bookers of the world, the Theo Riddicks are all gone. So I agree with Eric's premise that among their many free agents, they're not going to resign a lot of them, but the key guys, they will work to, to get under contract before venturing out of house. Terry jumps in with a $10 donation on Super Thank Chat. You, Terry. <clears throat> Appreciate you, Terry. Should Locke use virtual reality to study Shermer's offensive scheme and defensive sets? Love the show. Keep up the great job, Chad and Zach. Thank, Thank you, Terry. It. That means a lot. I mean, yeah, I think I think Drew Locke became a believer in VR through the program. It really helped him down the developmental curve as a rookie. Like you've heard me talk about how impressed I was, how quickly he was able to hit the ground running after as a rookie after spending 10 weeks on injured reserve. But let's let's rewind and remember what he was doing while he was on injured reserve. He wasn't just sitting on his hands. He was actually going through each and every practice. So whoever the starter was, Joe Flacco and then Brandon Allen, during practice, in their helmet, they would wear this particular camera that would interface with the VR program, right? And so they would, the coaches would run through the, pro, the practice. Drew Locke would watch that in person from the sideline, just observing. And then he would go at the after practice and go through it once. And then – so he would go through the entire practice from Joe Flacco or Brandon Allen's perspective in the VR – and then the next morning, he would wake up, and before practice, he would go through yesterday's practice one more time through the VR. So I think absolutely, there. You know, and it'll be interesting to see if Shermer is able to bring any uh, content with him from like Giants practices that Locke can you know jump into right away. But my bet is they're going to have to put some some tape on practice first, so that then he can use that for VR, Zach. There's no downside to it, Chad, as long as he doesn't lean on that for his development. It's like having a rear view camera in your car. It's you can you can use it to help you, but it's not the thing you should rely on. You still have to look behind you and make sure no one else is coming. He has to still get on the field and practice and go through the, the physical reps along with the virtual reality. But he's already well versed with that. Uh, Elway and, and Locker are both on record as saying it helped him in his first year. So if they can bring Shermer's offense to that type of like you said, content, it can't hurt. It, it cannot do him any worse. But he's going to get better solely by playing and doing, not by sitting and watching. Joseph says from YouTube, how does everyone feel about the Broncos being the third youngest team in the league? I would like to see this team stick together and grow into a success. I think that's got to be one of the things that should excite fans at this stage is that the Broncos – improved over their win total from the previous year by one. They went seven and nine and finished the season four and one. And it was basically the young core doing almost all the heavy lifting. 
and that was without Bradley Chubb for three quarters of the season. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's the best teams have a good mix of young and old, but the Broncos have been just old the last couple of years. They haven't had a lot of young nucleus pieces like they do now. You look on offense alone, and that just is all young players. So it's definitely encouraging, and that's why when they sprinkle in on the defense in the drafts this offseason, they will have a complete team. So it's it's definitely exciting times in Denver. We've seen the Broncos being an old you know, representative of what Flacco was. Just an old man, couldn't move, was very inflexible. Now they're very young and spry, so it's good to see. Wayne says, was Kubiak on Facebook, was Kubiak ever considered for the offensive coordinator? And which system fits Locke better, Kubes or Shermer? <clears throat> well, of course, as everybody should know, Kubiak was considered for the initial offensive coordinator position yeah. when Fangio was hired. This last time, no, he absolutely was not. As far as which... And by the way, if you guys missed it, he was, I guess you could call it a promotion. I mean, his previous job, I can't even remember what the title was, but he was the offensive coordinator basically in Minnesota. Kevin Stefanski, is it Stefanski, how you pronounce that? Anyway, he was by title the offensive coordinator, but now Kubiak is with him taking the Cleveland head job. Kevin, uh, Gary is taking the OC over anyway in Minnesota. So as far as which Locke fits better, the Cooper, the Shermer, honestly, I think Locke's skill set based on the spread and his experience playing in in a little bit more, you know, 11 personnel where it's three wide receivers out on the field, a single tight end, and spreading the field a little bit more fits, which is what Shermer, his passing concepts, even though it's all West Coast, his passing schemes and philosophies are more spread oriented, whereas with Kubiak, it's a lot more play action heavy. It's a lot more two tight end sets. It's a lot more two running back sets where you're bringing in the formation, you're basically condensing the field, and then you're using play fakes in the running game to create separation. And it's just a different animal. And I think with Drew Locke's arm talent, Zach, also considering the fact that Shermer's game is a little bit more vertical, I think it's probably a Shermer off the top of my head without doing a ton of study on it. Yeah, Kubiak's offense fits someone like Case Keenan better for the reasons that you mentioned, Chad. But for someone like Drew Locke, who loves to air the ball out, a vertical attack, that's what Shermer brings to the table. That's why the Broncos hired Shermer to begin with. And not only that, his noted quarterback development history, which we touched on yesterday. So no-brainer, I would put Drew Locke in a Shermer offense before I put him in a Kubiak offense. All right, let's see what else we got here from Josh jumping in. Also super consistent. By the way, Josh, sometimes I, I get it confused, but if we haven't reached out to you, you should hit us up, milehighhuddle at gmail.com, and let's see about getting you a shirt, man, because you've been so consistent with your support of the show. Appreciate it. Appreciate you, bro. He says, I think the Broncos should trade up into the back of the second round because we need uh, we need will be flying off the board. I'm not, I'm not sure what he's saying there. What do you think? We have three third-round picks. So the idea, though, Zach, what Josh is saying, I think the Broncos should trade up into the back of the second round because I'm not sure exactly what he's actually saying there. What do you think, Zach? I think he wants them to trade back into the first second round, you know, to get a guy that might be coming off the board that they want. Right. That's what he's saying. And you know what? I I would be for that. Like I said, they have the capital this year to make a move. The only thing is I'm not going to trade just for the sake of trading. If they love a guy and they think he's going to be taken, go up and get him like they did with Drew Locke last year. But don't just give up picks for the sake of giving up picks. Elway values him too much to be willy-nilly. Yeah, there there was an uh, um, analytical piece that Thomas Hall published over right as the weekend started this past weekend on basically and on on the draft and the best approach in terms of trading picks or stockpiling picks and no surprise it might seem simple but no surprise the more picks you make the greater your odds increase of hitting on players because it's a numbers game 
And, you know, it's, it's, you can't call the draft necessarily a crapshoot because that's pure luck. You can hedge and increase your odds of success by doing the right work in the scouting game, you know, get to know these guys, not only as football players, but as, as young men. And, you know, you can see that in the way it turned for the Broncos from the 2016 and 2017 classes to the 2018 and 2019 draft classes, the way they change their focus, you can alter the overall outcome, but it is still very much, you know, you, you can't control everything and, and chance does get involved. The more picks you have, the greater you you have the chance you have of hitting on those picks. The Broncos currently have five selections in the top 100, including, mm-hmm. as Josh says here, three third round picks, one in the second, one in the first. So I wouldn't be surprised, though, sitting there with three, Zach, if they do package and move up and do something early in the second round or late in the second round. Well, the good thing is, too, it's a very deep class in certain areas, Chad, especially wide receivers, so they don't necessarily have to move up. But I'm with you. I think this is the year where Elway gets aggressive. He, he's feeling his oats with having a franchise quarterback, and I think he'll do what he can to help out Drew Locke, whether that's a receiver or protection. I can for sure see him move back up to the second round. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies push boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They push girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promotes surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies push boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They push girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Our other super chat superstar named Terry jumps in up in Canada. Thank you, a Terry. A reminder, as always, that Broncos country is not a geographical location. It is a state of being. $5 donation. Thanks, Terry. Hey, guys, who popped for you at the Senior Bowl? I'll tell you who popped for me. Well, this one should be no surprise. Javon Kinlaw was, you know, he went into that week, Senior Bowl week, as a first-round caliber prospect, but he cemented himself as one of the elite uh, defensive prospects. Odds are, you know, going into the senior bowl, you probably felt pretty good that there's a chance he'd be there for the Broncos at 15. Now I'll be stunned, you know, and you never know because of quarterbacks and left tackles, but I'll be stunned if he makes it out of the top 10. Kinlaw popped. 
Lloyd Cushenberry, the center from LSU, was really, really good. Um, the wide receiver, there was a few wide receivers who popped, but especially Denzel Mims from Baylor. There were a few guys that really improved their stock. And I know our uh, senior draft analyst at Mile High Huddle, Eric Trickle, who you guys all know, he was a little brokenhearted over some of them because he was hoping that they'd kind of remain under the radar secrets. But still, you got to be happy for for these guys who were able to improve their draft stock heading into what what's next for them is the the combine. Kinlaw has a great backstory too. He's such a great prospect to follow throughout the draft process. But for me, Justin Herbert, the MVP of that game, he had a pretty good performance, and he was the practice player of the week. You know, he's not coming to Denver, obviously, but I think he had a good showing for himself in the Senior Bowl, Chad. Ronnie, we're going to have some ball caps up on the merch store here soon, in a very, very near future, within yes. the next few days. We have a guy working on designs and logos right now, transferred over to apparel, shirts, hats, beanies, but hats specifically, they're coming, and you can go to the merch store, huddle-up-myshopify.com. I'll put, I can post the link later in the comment stream, but yeah, that's coming down the pike, my friend. Um, sleek, sleek tro. On YouTube, Daniel Jeremiah in his mock draft said that we should draft Jerry Judy. Do you think so? I think so. Zach, your thoughts? I think so as well. I mean, he's he's arguably the top receiver in this draft, and the Broncos need a complimentary receiver opposite Cortland Sutton. I would not move up for him because it's such a, a deep draft class, Chad, and you can actually argue that someone like Henry Ruggs would fit the Broncos better. I wouldn't be disappointed, though, if they end up with Jerry Judy. They need him. He's a one of the best players in the class, and uh, it just would work out pretty well. I'm not opposed to Jerry Judy. He's a great player. He's a great young prospect, very exciting young young wide receiver that I think would complement Cortland Sutton quite well. But again, this is such – I mean, why would you go after Jerry Judy? Now, just think, think about it this way. I know it's the skill position and it's the speed and it's the playmaking ability that you covet, and he's playing at a power school in Alabama, and all that is attractive. But why would you spend a first-round pick on Jerry Judy or even Henry Ruggs or even Chenault, okay, out of Colorado, when you could get a similar impact type of player in a Denzel Mims, even in the third round, with one of those third round picks, possibly. Now, maybe he's already played himself out of the, you know, closer to the, the top 60, but still, this is such a deep wide receiver class. If you could come out of this, this particular draft with not only a receiver that fits a lot, you know, checks a lot of those same boxes as a Judy or a Ruggs or a Chenault, and still get like a left tackle prospect in the first round or a cornerback starting caliber corner in the first round and you still get that wide receiver that's why i'm saying i'm not locked into wide receiver in the first round like all the mocks are and you know benjamin albright he's as plugged in as anybody to dove valley and their their machinations during the offseason and he's saying you basically book it it's going to be a speed demon wide receiver at pick 15 for the broncos probably going to be zach i'm just saying that with how deep this class is I would wait and see what how this board's going to fall. See if you can get a blue chipper because you can probably get that guy of a similar skill set and ability in round two, round three, round four. Yeah, you know, my first preference is to take a receiver if one's on the board at 15, but I'm kind of coming around to taking someone like Kinlaw and then using the second round pick on maybe someone like Jalen Rieger or another receiver that you mentioned, Chad. It's a very, very deep class. They can come away with two major needs in the first two rounds, but I believe, and I, I hold firm to this, among their first couple picks, one of them has to be a premier wide receiver. They cannot skimp on this. This is Drew Locke's future. It's nothing to play around with. They have to get him that guy. Let's grab Christian here on YouTube. I love the content you guys always provide. Appreciate it. Which of our free agent corners do you think we will resign? And what would your depth chart look like at that position? 
Well, there's only one free agent corner, unless I'm mistaken. It's Chris Harris Jr., right? Because you've got Bryce Callahan under contract. Well, Devontae Bosby technically is going to be, a, I believe, an ERFA, an, an exclusive rights, or maybe he's restricted. One of the two. Either way, the Broncos have him locked down. He's coming back. So that's not even a question. He's not going to be contending. They're not going to have to compete in the open market unless someone comes in and wants to give like a – you know, sign him to an offer sheet and give the Broncos a second round pick for the privilege, which isn't going to happen. I mean, he played, he appeared in two games last year as a Bronco after, you know, leading the AAF and in interceptions. So that's not going to happen. But to get back to your question, Christian, about how the depth chart looks, let's just assume for a second, Zach, that Chris Harris Jr. is gone. All right. He ends up signing elsewhere. Considering the draft, considering free agency, give us a, an idea of how you think the corner depth chart would look next year. Uh, Bosby to me has to be penciled in at probably the third cornerback on the depth chart with without Chris Harris Jr. Then you have Bryce Callahan coming back, and I assume he'll be healthy next year. So he'll, he'll, it's like they're getting a new player, Chad. It's like they're signing yeah. him this offseason. So brand new guy to the system. Then we'll use the draft or trade for a corner. I believe that's the one position they're going to go on defense and free agency, sign someone like Ronald Darby. There's a lot of other corners out there they can just get as a, a veteran filler type of guy and then use the draft to supplement that. But I give it like a 35-40% chance that Chris Harris Jr. comes back. I'm not very hopeful on the Broncos bringing him back. I think he wants too much money, and he doesn't, to me, he's not worth it. He fell off last year. Broncos can go in a different direction, a younger and cheaper direction. I guess you could you could uh, classify Will Parks as a corner because he played so much nickel corner for the team down the stretch, <clears throat> especially after uh, Kareem Jackson was suspended. But, uh, but yeah, I think you're going to see Bryce Callahan as, as cornerback one next year. This is assuming Chris Harris Jr. is gone, which I think both of us were on the same page, 70% chance he's playing elsewhere next year. Yeah. So Bryce Callahan, even if they bring someone in from free agency or draft one in the first two rounds, Bryce Callahan projects as your number one corner, which is kind of scary a little. I mean, it's exciting. Like, like Zach said, it's like getting a new signee because we didn't see him at all last year, but he's a career nickel guy. And for him to be your number one corner, it's a little bit scary, right? Because you don't really know how he can hang for a full season on the outside. I mean, look what happened to Chris Harris last year when he was asked to do that. He was burned left and right, not left and right. That's hyperbole, but you get my point. I think it'll be still in order of depth chart Callahan and either a first or you know second round corner or a free agent pickup or a trade like Darius Slay. Darius Slay in Detroit is is someone that I think the Broncos should at least pick up the phone and see what it would take to get him to Denver. And then followed by Devontae Bosby, probably the other Harris, Devontae Harris, then Isaac Yadam, and anyone else they might add uh, between now and then. Our friend Larry, Broncos fan number 24 on YouTube, jumps in. $10 donation. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate you, bro. It's good to see you. He says, Recently, oh, ruptured my Achilles. Oh, dude. Oh, sorry to hear that. Yeah, that sucks. I have a new found, a, a new profound respect for Emmanuel Sanders, LOL. But you guys make the recovery process so much easier. Appreciate the content week in and week out. We Feel appreciate better, you. Get better yeah. soon, man. Yeah, that's brutal, dude. I've that's heard it's brutal. rough. Rough injury to come back from. I have a cousin who, uh, you know, a few years younger than I. So mid 30s, something like that. And he was just playing a little game of pickup basketball in a church and um, ruptured his Achilles. And he said it just disappeared. Like he, he felt a pop and he looked and his Achilles had just like mm. sucked up into his calf. And he's like, what most painful. Ouch. And it took him like six months to recover. So Larry, uh, Godspeed on that, that recovery, brother. That's, that's brutal. Um, Terry jumps back in $10 donation. A couple Thank more guys. And we got to get out of here. Um, 
Terry, he says, is this the year Elway, the quarterback, puts more weight on fixing our offensive line problems? Well, I think you're going to see the Broncos continue to add to that, but they have some plates they're spinning in the air right now. They have to decide what to do with Connor McGovern. Push comes to shove. If he indeed, as I'm hearing, wants to push for, you know, 10 million or more, like a contract commensurate with what Cody Whitehair got in Chicago, the Broncos are probably going to kiss him goodbye. So now you have a, a another hole open up on the offensive line. Ronald Leary, good, really good chance, unless he's willing to renegotiate his deal. He's gone. So let's just say you're staring at a at an offseason where you need to get a new center and a new guard, right guard. So I think this is a draft where you can get both, but you're probably going to have to be willing to, to you know, invest a premium round pick. By that, I mean a pick in round one, two, or three. And that's why I'm saying, you guys, hold off on the wide receivers. You can get really good players in this class without having to dip into the first or even second round well. So is this the year he puts more weight on fixing our O-line problems? We'll see. It, it also, you have to wonder how much he's going to continue to kind of lean on the coaching expertise, Zach, of Mike Munchett. You know, you can argue certainly that the Elway picked the wrong lineman in recent years, but you can't really fault him for trying. Every single offseason, he's either signed one, traded for one, or drafted one. You're talking about Stevenson, Menelik Watson, Garrett Bowles, Jared Valdir, Juwan James. He's tried every offseason to find those franchise guys that just haven't really panned out. So I don't fault Elway for trying. I fault him for looking in the wrong directions with injury-prone players. This is the offseason, though, where I believe he invests in the draft with the offensive line, taking multiple linemen and starting to develop them behind the starters they have already. His biggest fault to me was the one inactive move he didn't make, which is resigning Matt Paradis. He should have done that. He should have opened up the checkbook. He was a great player for the team. He deserved the contract. And now they're watching their center and McGovern hit the open market. So they're right back in square one. So I believe he's done well in trying, but this is the year I believe where he doesn't lean on veterans. He leans on building through the draft to find those linemen. Mark Langley jumps in $5 donation again. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Mark. you are the man, bro. He says, Brandon, <laughs> Brandon McMahon, <laughs> better watch out for his job. Hot Rod, the kicker from Georgia Bulldogs, is very good. Rodrigo Blankenship, hashtag, hashtag, no dogs, hashtag, orange crush. By the way, just a quick aside, maybe I'll pull it up, but the MHH guys give me a hard time, and they say that he's my doppelganger, Rod, uh, Rodrigo Blankenship. Don't ask me. This is coming from them, okay? It, there is an outside chance that in my spare time, I have spent the last years <laughs> kicking for the Georgia Bulldogs. Maybe it's a conspiracy theory. Anyway, check that out. And thanks, by the way, Mark. Yeah, I mean, he's a really good young kicker, and he's got, a, I think, he's one of the few in this class that has a future kicking in the league. I don't really like the fact of McMahon being the one that gets to choose the next kicker or having anything to do with that process, but they might bring in some competition, but they're contractually tied to Brandon McManus. But I will definitely be using that nickname when he misses some field goals next season. <laughs> Brian jumps in, $2 donation Thank you, on Brian. Super Chat. Appreciate you, Brian. Uh, Damien with a $10 donation. Thank you, Damien. Thank you, Damien. I don't see any good wide receivers. Who did I miss? Now, what are you talking about specifically? You don't see – I don't see any good wide receivers. You're talking about the draft class? You're talking about the senior bowl? Maybe uh, elucidate a little bit further in the comment stream and we can answer your question. And thank you again, Damien, for your support. Yes. I appreciate you, bro. Um, I'll keep an eye out for that. We'll answer Christian's question and keep an eye out for Damien to elaborate. Is Draymond Jones from Christian on YouTube a mm. starter next season, likely or unlikely, Zach? 
Interesting. Uh, it depends on what they do. I, I think they'll bring back one of either Derek Wolf or uh, Shelby Harris, but I, I, he'll be a prominent contributor. He'll start or not start, but he'll appear in every game. He'll have a significant role on the defense, but starter, I'm not there yet. I think he needs another year, and he'll, there's always Demarcus Walker taking his uh, reps also. So not a starter, but definitely a key contributor on the defense next year. I disagree in that I think he showed enough down the stretch. You know, when you draft a defensive lineman in the third round, even though he was, it was that the team knew out of the gates he was going to take time to come around as a run defender. He was basically just a pure pass rush, interior pass rusher as a rookie, and probably first year or second year as well. But I do think when you draft someone that high on the D line, your your ultimate goal is for him to eventually become a starter somewhere along that four year rookie contract. So will he be? Depends on how many of these guys end up actually departing in in free agency. You know, as you were saying, like. Derek Wolf, if he comes back, well, you got there's one starting job locked down. Demarcus Walker's going to be there. They'll have to battle for that other five tech, well, or three tech, depending on how you want to classify Fangio's defense. That other defensive end slot slash inside tackle slot. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if I had to bet on it today. I would say yes, he's probably going to be a starter in 2020. Now let's see if our our boy came back here. I'm not seeing him saying anything about his question, Damian. I mean, again, dude. I don't know what you're talking about on uh, if you're talking about the draft class, the free agent class, the senior bowl, but, uh, but guys, that's got to do it for today's episode of the huddle up podcast. We're running a little bit long, but thanks to each and every one of you for spending time with us and contributing to the conversation and making this podcast that much more compelling and fun for Zach and I, and of course a mile high salute, big props to our super chat superstars. You guys yes, never you, cease everyone. to amaze us day in, day out. We love you guys so much. Uh, make sure you are following the show, you guys, on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. Simply the best way for you to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the show in real time. And then, of course, make sure you find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at KelbermanNFL. You can find myself, at Chad and Jensen. And uh, head on over. Don't forget, Apple Podcasts, leave a creative review when you get some time. It's not an emergency, but when you get some time. Great way to help support the show. And then in the meantime, guys, we're off tomorrow. Of course, the Huddle Up podcast. But building the Broncos, Nick and Carl, for the first time, they're going to take their podcast live to you guys at 6 p.m. Mountain Time, just like we normally go, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central. So look forward to that. Be ready to rock and roll with your draft questions because those guys are – are uh, you know, that's their, that's their baby. That's their bread and butter. So in the meantime, Zach and I will be back on uh, Wednesday evening, usual time, 6 p.m. Mountain, 8 p.m. Eastern. And Zach, have a great start to your week, bro. You too, Chad. And everyone else. All right, guys. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We will talk to you again Wednesday night. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. 
Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal.